right, hello and welcome to Between the Liars with Ryan. Welcome to another episode of Bill Me. Today we're going to be discovering HR 5376. It is misnomered as the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022. I say misnomered because, as anyone knows, inflation is in effect too much money tasting too few goods, and they're just pumping out the money. Now, they're not creating it, but they are going to be taxing it to try and throw <laughs> towards their pet projects, and we'll get into that later. This is a 755-page bill that just passed the Senate, passed exclusively along party lines. Kamala Harris had to step in and be the tie-breaking vote, which means that it is now off to the House of Representatives, and you can be sure, since the Democrats also hold a majority in the House, that it's going to pass there. I would be shocked if it didn't, and then it'll be signed by President Biden. This covers a lot of things. To give you a brief summary, it would include changes to the tax code. It's going to raise taxes on corporations, raise it on pretty much all taxpayers. There's a giant carve-out for addressing climate change. You've got sections on Medicare, specifically to cap insulin prices, but only for those on Medicare. It would also allow the federal government to negotiate with Big Pharma, and there's nearly $80 billion in IRS funding, which would go pretty much strictly and directly toward enforcement of audits. And we know that that's the case because it's basically what they said. Democrats said that they wanted to be able to quote-unquote, catch the missing tax dollars. Now, it is true that fewer agents does mean that, you know, if you're not as efficient, you're not going to catch it. But also, it does mean that they're going to be spending their resources auditing. And I will post this resource in the description below, but you'll be able to see here that audits basically are disproportionately targeting not the ultra-wealthy. In fact, we know that Democrats were in favor um, of this because Republicans tried to include an amendment that would say you cannot audit, that you can't use this money and audit people, I believe it was over like, who, who make less than 200000 a year, and Democrats shot it down. They refused to listen to it. So the party that is telling you at the same time that the wealthy need to pay their fair share are also not willing to let the IRS only target the people that they're claiming are evading taxes. You tell me what that means. So, uh, this is too much to cover in a single segment, so this is going to be part one. We're going to cover uh, for sure uh, section one and section two, which deals with the new tax changes, and we might even get down to the IRS funding, but everything else will be covered in later segments, so stay tuned for that. Remember that if you're not already, you can help out this show majorly by subscribing if you watch on our YouTube channel, and you can also help by hitting those notifications so you hear our podcast right when it comes out on those platforms. Like and subscribe. We appreciate it. And let's go ahead and talk briefly about the news surrounding the bill to catch you up to speed in case you didn't catch it. This bill was passed through budget reconciliation, and that's going to be really important when we get to the questions that we're going to ask later on tonight. If you're not familiar with it, budget reconciliation means that they only need a simple majority, 50 senators plus one, in this case Kamala Harris, the vice president being the tiebreaker. Kristen Sinema and Joe Manchin joined the Democrats in a vote along party lines. No Republicans voted for this. Uh, at least the Republicans that were interviewed that I heard, they said that they were not allowed to really add any amendments. That doesn't mean that they would have voted for it if they had been able to, but it is important to note that that was the, the case. 
Now, budget reconciliation means, in addition to you only need 50 votes, the reason that's supposed to be the case is because it's supposed to be tied specifically to things that have to do with fiscal policy, finances, budgets, as the name would imply. But what the Democrats basically did to pass this bill was they said, well, this has to do with fiscal reform, right? We, we added things about tax reform, and then we have probably like 500 pages of other pet projects that they've been trying to get through. They basically disassembled the Build Back Better Act and rebuilt most of it back into this bill. And they said, well, now we don't need the same amount of votes. We don't need a filibuster-proof majority. All we need is a bare, simple majority. Now, with that logic, and this will be, again, important, and we'll talk about this later, but going forward, because that means that literally from here on out, Democrats have now made the statement, everything is passable through budget reconciliation, so long as you can tie it to some sort of fiscal policy or at least have one section of the bill tied to that. Um, so in effect, they've done away with the filibuster in this instance because you shouldn't be able to pass things on climate change. You shouldn't be able to pass things on Medicare and Medicaid. You shouldn't be able to pass things like that without the filibuster-proof majority, but they did it. And what's going to happen is this is going to go back and forth. Each party is going to abuse this method once they take the House or the Senate. So keep in mind of that going forward. Let's go ahead and get right into the bill. If you haven't done it already, Hit that like and subscribe below as I get into it. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to share my screen here so you can read along with me. I've tried something new. This should help me be able to skim through this a little faster and hopefully help you as well. I have added highlights and a couple of notes as I go. That just helps me. That's what I do when I'm reading. Um, just things for educational purposes, specifically for school. Um, and I'll, I'll give you access to these in the notes and, and that will lead the discussion as we go. So let's talk about... Title One Committee on Finance, Subtitle A, Deficit Reduction. <laughs> they're not reducing the deficit because they're doing over 400, it's about 400 billion, hope that sounds familiar to you from the last segment, about 400 billion in policies over the next 10 years. I think it's about 300 billion of that is going to go to climate change incentives. Except as otherwise expressly provided, whenever in this subtitle amendment or appeal is expressed in terms of an amendment to or appeal of a section or other provision, the reference shall be considered to be made a section or other provision of Internal Revenue Code 1986. So Internal Revenue Code 1986, if we have questions, if I have them or you have them, that's where we're going to go. Part one, corporate tax reform. This is the imposition of tax, which means that they are adding new taxes. In general, paragraph two of section 55B is amended to read as follows. Note here, it says under number two here, corporations. And then we'll get into individuals, which they refer to as non-corporations. Applicable corporations. In the ease of an applicable corporation, the tentative minimum tax for the taxable year shall be the excess of these provisions. 15% of the adjusted financial statement income for the taxable year over the corporate AMT foreign tax credit for the taxable year. B, other corporations in the case of any corporation which is not an applicable corporation, the tentative minimum tax for the taxable year shall be zero. Applicable corporations, section 59, is amended by adding at the end the following new subsection. Quote, applicable corporation for the purpose of this part, applicable corporation defined. We're still continuing the quotes here. In general, the corp the term applicable corporation means with respect to any taxable year, any 
corporation other than an S corporation, which off the top of my head, I believe that that has to do more with like nonprofits, a regulated investment company or a real estate investment trust, which meets the average annual adjusted financial statement income test of subparagraph B for one or more taxable years, which are prior to such taxable year and after December 31st, 2021. This has been toyed around with in the Senate since 2021. Average annual adjusted, or excuse me, in the House, uh, adjusted financial statements income test for purposes of the subsection. A corporation meets the average annual adjusted financial statement income test for a taxable year if the average annual adjusted financial statement income of such corporation for the three taxable year period. So this is three years, not just in one year. Ending with such year exceeds $1 billion. $1 billion in three years. That is not $1 billion that has gone to the CEO they're being taxed. That is not $1 billion that goes to the corporation in net profit. That is just what they bring in. That is not, remember, the IRS does not, in most instances, and you can compare it to Section 56A, in parentheses D to see exactly how they define it. But unless they've made an exception here, that is your, when you get paid for the year, you don't get taxed based off of the expenses. You have neither do businesses. They don't reduce those taxes. This is your total income. So a company that doesn't make more than a billion is fine in three years. But if they make over a billion over the course of three years, then this would be applicable to them. In the case of a corporation described in paragraph two, such corporation meets the average annual adjusted financial statement income test for a taxable year if the corporation meets, and this is as a whole, the corporation meets the requirements of clause one for such taxable year. And two, the average annual adjusted financial statement income of such corporation determined without regard to the application of paragraph two and without regard to section 56AD. So this doesn't account for that. For the three taxable year period ending with such taxable year is 100 million or more. Casting a very broad net here. Here's the exception. Notwithstanding subparagraph A, the term applicable corporation shall not include any corporation which otherwise meets the requirement of subparagraph A if such corporation has a change in ownership or has a specified number to be determined by the secretary and which shall, as appropriate, take into account the facts and circumstances of the taxpayer of consecutive taxable years, including the most recent taxable year in which the corporation does not meet the average annual adjusted financial statement income test of subparagraph B, and the secretary determines that it would not be appropriate to continue to treat such corporation as an applicable corporation. So what that language means right here in what I'm highlighting, the secretary determines that it would not be appropriate to continue it. And we'll get later, you'll, you'll see that it says the secretary shall make such decision. They're giving the secretary quite a broad leash here. Now, they can't necessarily change the tax code, but this right here, this little I, little I, seems to indicate the secretary does get to grant power. Now, what happens, ask yourself this, what happens when the government has the ability to, on a case-by-case -case basis, grant exceptions? Who gets those? We'll let you think about it. I should have the Jeopardy music. Who gets that? Surprise, surprise, it's the people that they like. It might be, they might write it in such a way that their donors get it. They might write it in such a way that people who tend to lobby for them would get it. They might 
write it in such a way that uh, their state colleagues, so for example, U.S. Senate here in California, they might try to get it to, to go similar to the salt tax, state and local tax. It, it basically means that you've got... Um, you can California has exorbitantly high state taxes. You can count that against what the federal government is charging you. So that you're really just paying your exorbitant amount at the state level. They want to carve out exceptions for people that they like, that their constituents, whether it be, hey, we want the voters to like us better. So it's at their discretion. In Section D here, it says special rules for determining applicable corporation status in general, solely for purposes of determining whether a corporation is an applicable corporation under this paragraph, all adjusted financial statement income of persons treated as a single employer with such corporation under subsection A or B of section 52 shall be treated as adjusted financial statement income of such corporation and adjusted financial statement income of such corporation shall be determined without regard to paragraphs 2DI, which we just went through, of section 56A, parentheses C. Modifications. For purposes of this subparagraph, section 52A shall be applied by substituting component members for members, so now it'll just read as members, and two, for purposes of applying section 52B, the term trade or business shall include any activity treated as a trade or business under paragraph 5 or 6 of section 469C determined without regard to the phrase, quote, to the extent provided in regulations, unquote, in such paragraph six. We'll skip down to this highlighted section here. Other special rules. Corporations in existence for less than three years. You just started your business within the last three years. This applies to you. If the corporation was in existence for less than three taxable years, subparagraph B shall be applied on the basis of the period during which such corporation was in existence. I'll read that again. It shall be applied on the basis of the period during which such corporation was in existence. My understanding of the reading that there means, yeah, this applies to you too, so long as we can count you in those three years. Short taxable years. Adjusted financial statement income for any taxable year of less than 12 months shall be annual uh, annualized by multiplying the adjusted financial statement income for the short period by 12 and dividing the result by the number of months in the short period. Lucky you, you get a prorated version, guys. Treatment of predecessors. Any reference in this subparagraph to a corporation shall include a reference to any predecessor of such corporation. Special rule for foreign-parented multinational groups. In general, if a corporation is a member of a foreign-parented multinational group for any taxable year, then solely for purposes of determining whether such corporation meets the average annual adjusted financial statement income test under paragraph 1B2I, for such taxable year, the adjusted financial statement income of such corporation for such taxable year shall include the adjusted financial statement income of all members of such groups. Solely for purposes of this subparagraph, adjusted financial statement income shall be determined without regard to paragraphs and the ones that we just read, basically. If you keep going here, Section B deals with foreign parent and multinational group. So really what they're doing is they're closing what they would call the tax loopholes, getting rid of parent companies, getting rid of multinational, international companies. They're trying to raise the taxes across the board. That's basically what this jargon says in corporate tax speak. Everything is going to be raised. Skip down to the next portion here. 
The Secretary shall, applying the principles of this section, prescribe rules for the application of this paragraph, including rules for the termination of, number one, the entities, if any, which are to be treated under subparagraph B32 as having a common parent, which is foreign corporation, also affects the entities to be included in a foreign parent and multinational group, and the common parent of a foreign parent multinational group. So the three sections that we just read, it's saying under subsection D here, the Secretary shall apply the principles, but they shall prescribe the rules. Congress, from this language here, seems to be kicking that to the secretary, which means that they are giving, they are delegating the power there. Now, me personally, that bothers me because now they're not setting it, they're not voting on what are the rules going to be. They're voting on who are we delegating the power of that they get to apply this to. It's less concrete. For me personally, that bothers me. But comment below and tell me what that does for you. Regulations or other guidance. The secretary shall provide regulations or other guidance for the purposes of carrying out this subsection, including regulations or other guidance. Again, outlining here that the secretary gets to outline what happens here. Non-corporate taxpayers. In the case of a taxpayer other than a corporation, and by adding at the end the following paragraphs, alternative minimum tables income. The term alternative minimum table income means the taxable income of the taxpayer for the taxable year determined with the adjustments provided in section 56 and section 58 and increased by the amount of the items of tax preference described in section 57. So taxable income, that's what they're applying here. If a taxpayer is subject to the regular tax, such taxpayers shall be subject to the tax imposed by this section. And if the regular tax is determined by reference to an amount other than taxable income, such amount shall be treated as the taxable income of such taxpayer for purposes of the preceding sentence. My best guess at, at understanding what this means is that they're trying to link this to the non-corporate taxpayers. So those of us who are not corporations paying the taxes, they're trying to make it as broad as possible. What I'm going to tell you right now is as we go through this and as this gets applied, what the text said between the text itself and the application that they gave themselves to do plus the budget that they gave themselves to do it with, meaning they need to collect the taxes for that. So just to back up and help you understand how this works in case you didn't know, the way the government does this is they say, what are we going to do? legislatively, and then let's get the taxes for it. So when they say, let's spend $400 billion, they don't have that money already. They have to tax to get it. That's why they have this being written up here. Every time they pass legislation, one of two things happens. Nothing, because they don't get the taxes, because they don't get the actual ability to send the IRS, rewrite the tax codes, or we will see a tax hike. Usually, I think, okay, this is really bad if they pass the taxes. But in this case, because they are passing legislation that does, in fact, deal with the tax codes, it's coming. Mark my words. Unless, for some reason, the House of Representatives votes against it, taxes will be raised to some degree across the board. And the United States does not have a flat tax, so you are taxed based off of your tax bracket. The more you make, the more you're going to be taxed. But with how much they need, I'm sure that regardless of where you fall on that spectrum, you're going to feel it at least a little bit. 
Section 12 is amended by adding at the end the following new paragraph, quote, for alternative minimum tax, see section 55, unquote. Section 882A1 is amended by inserting 55 after section 11. And then this section here, 6425C1A, is amended to read as follows. The sum of the tax imposed by section 11 or subchapter L of chapter 1, whichever of these two is applicable, plus the tax imposed, <laughs> plus the tax imposed by section 55, plus the tax imposed by section 59A over. So that means that it's going to be cumulative there if those happen to apply to you. A lot of times the government has this massive flow chart. Just try looking at it for your taxes. You know, you make in this bracket, you're going to make this, but it won't be greater than one or the other. These explicitly say plus, plus, plus. They're just adding these up. In this section here, there will be nothing that is kind of an alternative path that might cut you some slack. Section And I'm not familiar enough with these sections to know what exactly that looks like, nor do I want to bore you with going through the massive tax code. I'm just trying to make sure that you're aware of what's going on here. Check the resources. I will provide them linked below. In general, for purposes of this part, the term adjusted financial statement income means with respect to any corporation for any taxable year, the net income or loss of the taxpayer set forth on the taxpayer's uh, applicable financial statement for such taxable year adjusts as provided in this section. Now let's skip down to the part that I highlighted on the adjusted section. Treatment of dividends. Actually, let's stop here for a moment. Treatment of dividends and other amounts. In the case of any corporation which is not included on a consolidated return with the taxpayer, adjusted financial statement income of the taxpayer with respect to such other corporation shall be determined by only taking into account the dividends received from such other corporation reduced to the extent provided by the secretary, again, to the secretary's discretion, reduced to the extent provided by the secretary in regulations or other guidance and the other amounts which are includable in gross income or deductible as a loss under this chapter. So when we're talking about dividends, what we're talking about here is passive income in the stock market through the idea that basically I, let's say I hold stock in Google. I don't have physical money unless I liquidate that. Let's say, you know, I mean, even think about Mark Zuckerberg. He doesn't have the billions of dollars in cash. It's not liquidated assets. It's his net worth. It's a portfolio, which means that that is what he is worth. The other side of that in the economic market can be dividends, meaning you get a specific amount based off of how many shares you have. Let's take, I know Walgreens, for example, pays dividends. BP pays dividends. And depending on the number of stocks that you have and what that worth is, they will pay you on a basis. Sometimes they do it annually, semi-annually, quarterly, it just depends. But that is now being accounted for in taxes. Now, I could not tell you what happened previously. I don't know whether you were supposed to report that as income or whether you were supposed to report that as capital gains. But what it's saying right here is that, let me find it again, included in gross income, it's going to be included under this tax provision. And then we have treatment of partnerships outlined under subsection D here. 
In general, if for any taxable year a taxpayer is a United States shareholder of one or more controlled foreign corporations, the adjusted financial statement income of such taxpayer with respect to such controlled foreign corporations shall be adjusted to also take into account such taxpayers' pro rata share determined under rules similar to the rules under Section 951A2 of items taken into account in computing the net income or loss set forth on the applicable financial statement. Now, don't you worry. They get into what you can write off as a loss. And if you're not familiar with this economic principle, let's say that I have a business and that business has a really terrible year and I don't make anything. In fact, I lose, let's say, $100 million. Going forward, I can write that off. So if I make $100 million within that period of those two years, it's basically going to cancel itself out because I get to carry that loss forward into the next fiscal year so that I pay less in taxes. Now, a lot of times, Democrats, as they're fueling this type of legislation, they're saying that's not fair. You shouldn't be allowed to do that negative adjustments for such taxable year um, in any case in which the adjustment determined under subparagraph A would result in a negative adjustment. Let's just look up what that means real quick. Bear with me for just one second. Let's see get that exact. Negative adjustment tax year. It means with respect to any tax year, the excess, if any, of the reductions in the account for the tax year other than for distributions over the increases in such account for the tax year. If you've made it, <laughs> that's just your first hit here. So it's basically, it looks like it's an equation to determine whether it's going to be counted as a loss or a positive. If it's positive, you're going to have to pay taxes on it. No adjustment shall be made under this paragraph for such taxable year, and the amount of the adjustment determined under the paragraph for the succeeding taxable year determined without regard to this paragraph shall be reduced by an amount equal to the negative adjustment for such taxable year. So that's how they're going to calculate it going forward. Now, it is important to note that when Congress passes something like this, it doesn't go away. Like, if you're like, man, this sucks with however I'm being taxed, it doesn't go away. This is the new tax code. That's what they just rammed through. So it will be here until either this Congress changes their mind or we vote in a new Congress and they pass a new tax code. But this is how it will be until we get our new one. Now, Congress, I don't know exactly how often they pass rules and regulations like this. I know we had some passed under the Trump administration. I know we had some passed under the Obama administration, but it's not going to just be a one-year thing unless, let's say, the, um, the one way I could see that not being the case is if, for example, Republicans take the House of Representatives and they take the Senate with such a majority that if Biden were to veto it, they could go back and override it with how many people they have. That's the only way I can think of that this would be changed while Biden is still president of the United States. Consistent treatment of mortgage servicing income of taxpayers other than a regulated investment company in general, adjusted financial statement income shall be adjusted so as not to include any uh, item of income in connection with the mortgage servicing contract any earlier than when such income is included in gross income under any other provision of this chapter. Now, even just getting to the portion of the IRS auditing capabilities, this is 200 pages. So there are over 200 pages relating to taxes. 
Here's your tax-exempt entities. In the case of an organization subject to tax under Section 511, adjusted financial statement income shall be appropriately adjusted to only take into account any adjusted financial statement income of an unrelated trade or business as defined in Section 513 of such organization or derived from debt-financed property as defined in Section 514 to the extent that income from such property is treated as unrelated business taxable income. And then it shall be appropriately adjusted to disregard any amount of depreciated expense that is taken into account on the taxpayer's applicable financial statement with respect to such property and to take into account any other items specified by the secretary. Again, (laughs) very broad interpretation abilities there in order to provide that such property is accounted for in the same manner as it is accounted for under this chapter. Here you have the qualified wireless spectrum. Let's scroll down here. This was the qualified wireless spectrum for purposes. Um, It's going to mean wireless spectrum, which is used in the trade or business of a wireless telecommunications carrier and was acquired after December 31st, 2007 and before the date of the enactment of this section. It's really all encompassing here. Now, here we have deductions for financial statement net operating loss. And right here where I've highlighted, it says financial statement net operating loss. Carryover of financial statement net net operating loss for any taxable year shall be a financial statement net operating loss carryover to each taxable year following the taxable year of the loss. So again, like I mentioned, you lose $100 million, carries over to the next year. The portion of such loss which shall be carried to subsequent taxable years shall be the amount of such loss requiring, if any, after the application of paragraph 1. Let's go up to paragraph 1 here. And that says, in general, adjusted financial statement income determined after application of subsection C and without regard to this subsection shall be reduced by an amount equal to the lesser of one of these two things. The aggregate amount of financial statement net operating loss carryovers to the taxable year or 80% of adjusted financial statement income computed without regard to the deduction allowable under this subsection. So I don't know if you lost $100 million before, if you got to not be taxed on $100 million in the future, but I do know that you were allowed to take that into account with the amount. Now, I don't know if 80% is less or the same, but now it's going to be 80% of the adjusted, and that's that's going to be how they determine it. So again, you'll be referring to that chart. I lost this amount. It qualifies for this much, and I can go ahead and write off this much in the next text here. Here's my question, and you'll see in my notes here on the side. Is this going to reduce risk-taking? Because in our capitalistic economy, we not only encourage risk, we encourage the right type of risk. And that's what's really, really important to think about. Because in an economy that cushions and takes care of people who take bad risks, like let's say I say I want to start an underwater basket weaving business, if there's no demand for that, I'm going to go out of business because capitalism is going to not only encourage me to have a good product of quality, but also for a competitive price. If we either start cushioning risk that is bad risk, meaning it's not calculated well, right? Like there's not a huge market for it. Or we start penalizing people for losses that they might have 
instead of allowing them to carry that forward in taxes, let's just say for the sake of argument here, that they are not allowing you to carry forward as much in your loss as you used to be able to, well, how do you think that's going to affect the amount of risk people will take? Capitalism drives innovation. That is one of the beauties of it. There are a lot of disadvantages to capitalism, but overall, even the poorest of the poor in a capitalistic structure, specifically in the United States, they're faring way better, miles above people in economies that aren't as capitalistic, let's say. So that is my question is what 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 do we potentially wind up losing here on the current market if we curb this? Like in the attempt uh, in the in the attempt, excuse me. In the attempt of the Democrats here, since they were the ones who passed it, trying to basically make the rich pay the quote, quote unquote, fair share. Well, what happens to the amount of risk that corporations were going to have? What are we, what are we going to see? Are we going to see less? And, and you can see a great example of this with the carbon-based exports, oil, gas, non-renewable energy. What you see is that when the Biden administration, and we'll get to this in the future, cracks down on the amount of leeway that they'll give these corporations. The corporations don't want to drill. So the Biden administration is being truthful to an extent when they tell you that no one is drilling. We've got all these permits, but it's because of the fact, in large part at least, maybe not entirely, but it is in large part because they have curbed the willingness of these people to take risk. This would be another example of where that might wind up being the case. So we'll see how that affects the economy. Part two, excise tax on repurchase of corporate stock. So if you're going to repurchase corporate stock, this applies to you. The general rule there is hereby imposed on each covered corporation a tax equal to 1% of the fair market value of any stock of the corporation, which is purchased by such corporation during the taxable year. Now, I believe, and I could be wrong on this, so please feel free to engage me in the conversation below, but I believe that this was previously falling more under capital gains tax as opposed to, you know, just 1%. Now, maybe they're going to call this capital gains tax. But capital gains has different rules to it than your income. So I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if this wording here will change that. Comment below. Do you think that this will change it? I'm hoping that we get some, some tax experts in here. I'd love to hear your comments in the discussion or see... Uh, if you're interested in coming on the show, I'd love to have a discourse with you. Feel free to reach out and hit us out in our DMs. Covered corporation. For purposes of this section, the term covered corporation means any domestic corporation, the stock of which is traded on an established securities market. It's on the stock exchange. This is applicable to it. Repurchase. That is going to mean a redemption within the meaning of Section 317B with regard to the stock of a covered corporation and any transaction determined by the secretary, <laughs> any transaction determined by the secretary to be economically similar to a transaction described in subparagraph B. Now, because I actually don't know the definition of this, and you might not know the definition of this, Google is a beautiful thing. Let's just go ahead and see what that's defined as. Buyback. Oh, that's what this is. Oh, okay. So... Stock repurchasing or stock buyback is the process of a company purchasing its own stock from the current holder. The company simply buys back the stock from the capital market base on the market price, or they go to negotiate with the major holders and offer them a fixed price, which is higher than the market. Okay, so I'm 
I've heard of this. I didn't realize that that was what they meant by repurchase. Okay, that makes a lot more sense to me now. I'm wondering what the, what was the tax on that before? Let's see here. Well, just an interesting side note here as I'm looking this up. I, I, I am once again specifically validated here um, when I said that it was Build Back Better because this right here in November of 2021 says that this was included in the buybacks over dividends. The Build Back Better Act, H.R. 5376, as reported. Whoa. <laughs> Actually, I didn't realize this. 5376. <laughs> okay. So... <laughs> They have literally rebranded. I actually didn't realize that. This is literally the buy back, the Build Back Better plan. That is interesting. Hmm. <laughs> I knew they were repurposing. Yeah, so if you're wondering why you've, you've heard about this before, the, some of these were parts of Build Back Better. Okay, so now, now we know what... Here's my tab here. The repurchasing of corporate stocks. So we know now that that means that corporations are trying to buy back. So here's, here's where that... There could be several reasons for that. I would say the most common is probably going to be a corporation wants or, or like executives, etc. within the corporation want to maintain major, majority shareholder and control of their company. And it's a company that's being traded on the stock market. So then they offer incentives to buy the shares from people. Now, if you paid attention to the Elon Musk situation, um, I don't think they actually did repurchasing of corporate stock, but I think that they did talk about what would we need to get the majority share so that Elon Musk could have that. And one of the ideas that was at least thrown around as an option was they could repurchase it, which would then mean that it, it would really depend on how the situation unfolds. But in theory, if you have enough people who know that the stock is really valuable and they want to hold on to it, they can drive up the price that the corporation buys it back at. But the bottom line is that there's going to be a 1% tax on that now when this bill becomes law. Subsection B, specified affiliate. For purposes of this section, the term specified affiliate means with respect to any corporation, any corporation more than 50% of the stock of which is owned by vote or by value directly or indirectly by such corporation. Again, meaning that they maintain the majority hold and control of their company. And two, any partnership more than 50% of the company interests or profits interests of which is held directly or indirectly by such company. And then here they talk about adjustments. Now, this is dragging on, so I'm not going to keep going uh, and belaboring everything, but let's look right here. In any case in which the total value of the stock repurchased during the taxable year does not exceed $1 million, there's going to be an exception. There's also going to be an exception to the extent that the repurchase is part of a reorganization within the meaning of Section 368A, and no gain or loss is recognized. Um I believe a reorganization might also include, let's say, a merger. And so they need to buy back enough shares to have the share to be able to take over or to be able to merge a company. In any case in which the stock repurchased is or an amount of stock equal to the value of the stockhold purchase is contributed to an employer-sponsored retirement plan, employee stock ownership plan, or simple plan. So if you, for example, got stock options as part of your retirement plan, larger corporations such as Apple, Google, uh, I know at least at one point they were offering those as incentives to employees. It seems that there would be an exception there, which to me, any exception here is good, but that's because I, I am not the most in favor of government taxes because they go and they turn around and they spend them on things like we'll get into next week and then they talk about regulations 
and guidance. And this is where they say the tax not deductible. Effective date. The amendments made by this section shall apply to purchases of the Internal Revenue Code of 1986 as added by the section of stock after December 31st, 2022. So you know what we're going to do next week because I really want to dive into this in full. We will cover part three next week, the funding of the Internal Revenue Service and improving taxpayer compliance. I don't think I want to wait till Tuesday of next week. I'll probably do a special edition and just release these and try to get through it as quickly as possible, but we will break it up into chunks. So let's go ahead and let's talk about my ratings that I would give this portion of the bill. I'm actually not even going to rate the bill in its entirety. I probably will at the end, but for this section, legislation FC one out of five. I don't think that this legislation, I, I think they'll be very effective at collecting the money. I don't think it's aligned with the Democrats' message of let's make sure that the elites, the wealthy corporations are paying their fair share. I think that it's a way to just get the revenue that they need to fund whatever the hell they want. They spent $400 billion, you know, they're, they're getting ready to spend, you know, they, they've got the, the $400 billion, not all of which was even going towards the veterans like they had said. Watch the last Bill Me segment if you want to be caught up on that. But they've got a lot of money that they're trying to spend. If this bill is basically a reiteration, a rebranding of the Build Back Better plan, the largest reason that that plan died was because of how much it was going to cost. So I think that they're just going to tax all of us, regardless of your tax bracket. If you're lower tax bracket, you will feel it probably less in the number that comes out of your bank account because it is a progressive um, accelerated tax bracket, meaning the more you make, or at least what I mean by that, the more you make, the more you're going to be taxed. But people right now in an inflation where their true wages aren't, they don't have the buying power, they're going to feel that more. Like I'm in one of the lowest tax brackets right now. I just came off of being a grad student and I just got my first full-time position. Grad students really don't make enough to be taxed all that much, but with how much Uncle Sam's going to need for this, you're going to be taxed at least a little bit. Media accuracy, I'd give it a four and a half out of five, uh, which I, I, honestly, I came across even a Washington Post article. They were like, everyone is full of it. People are, are to summarize, the author of the Washington Post article said that you've, you've basically got both sides weaponizing the quote unquote dials of the economy for their political agenda. Everyone wants to take credit for a good economy and everyone wants to blame someone else when it's a bad economy. I think that will lead us to some questions you want to ask yourself. And I have five of these. Number one, why are we spending $400 billion and raising taxes, especially during inflation? Like your true wage, your, your buying power is shot. It's not going to get better. Uh, the, the price of the pump is going down a little bit, but remember that the federal government removed 18 cents of their tax that they put on gas. So that's part of it. They were taxing us and they will bring that back. I think it was only suspended for three months. Russia and Ukraine situation is not necessarily going to go away. Might change, but I think that because Russia holds a large monopoly on the oil resources and the Green New Deal portion of this bill that we'll get to next week is going to effectively punish any corporation that doesn't incorporate. 
green renewables sustain what they call sustainable i put sustainable in quotes because i do question that and you'll get into why in the next segment but why are we spending that much do you think we should comment below uh, these are rhetorical but i would love to hear your thoughts and i'd love to hear your reasoning as to why you think that question two how will budget reconciliation be used going forward i mentioned at the start of this clip that th this is basically breaking the filibuster because they can make a loose connection to a budget it's also going to encourage boondoggle conglomerate spending of what did austin call it government bloat basically you know five uh, 755 pages of pet projects and things that they couldn't get through on their own and then they're going to slap on something to do with taxes even if they don't change much they'll say well this has to do with some tax reform even if they like the way that it is so they can get through what they want with a bare majority that's how i think it'll happen there goes my opinion uh, but tell me what you think. Genuinely curious. Let's have a discourse below. Number three, how did Democrats vote against, or why did Democrats vote against a Republican amendment to limit IRS funding to the use of investigating the ultra-wealthy? Like, like, why would they be opposed to that? Now, I'll give you my answer to that. I think it's because they fall a lot more along the ultra-wealthy than they want. For all their talk about people paying their fair share, corporations paying their fair share, they do an awful lot of carving out exceptions for themselves, the corporations they own and run, the corporations that they own stock in. They do a lot of carving out. And I think the fact that they were very adamantly opposed to a bill that, that would have limited where the IRS can do additional audits, I think that's very telling. Number four, how will companies be affected? We talked about limited risk already. Um, I think that that will be a factor that we need to consider. I, I couldn't tell you exactly how it's going to, but if this tax, if, if they're trying to really get companies to quote unquote pay their fair share, and I know that Biden, when he was running for office and when he first got in, he was talking about uh, anything over 400,000, but he was applying that to corporations. Now, this did mention, what was it, um, a billion, a hundred million, hundred billion, depending on where they went with that in the two sections, their either or section right at the beginning there. That's over three years. So I, I think that they will be less likely to take risk. You will see less growth in businesses. If I have a, a great business and I'm like, you know what, I'm doing really good in Murray, Kentucky. Let me put this in Nashville. If I'm going to be taxed that much at the end of the year, and if my company makes just enough that I won't make a profit because it'll push me over into a tax bracket where the government gets to tax me as much as they just added, you're going to see a lot fewer franchises, fewer employment, fewer options for your dollar, which will lead me to my last question here. How will we be affected as consumers and also as taxpayers? But even just think about it as a moment for consumers. Taxes are always passed on. Corporations don't just suddenly be like, you know what? You're right. I made too much last year. They will raise the cost. That's why when the ca the cost of oil, specifically diesel, went up, the farmers have to pass that on because they need to spend more now to raise the crops and harvest the crops and transport the crops. Transportation companies, long-haul transportation companies, they have to spend more in fuel costs. They had to spend more to purchase the product that they were also transporting. Like, it is just compounding. By the time it gets back to us, it is astronomical. It will always be passed on. Mark my words. I could promise you that.
Now, let's talk about the watch list. Number one, government overreach. I'm probably just going to keep that as an always coming back and just give you a different reasoning as to why. Again, we've talked about the bright line. Like, what is the standard? I think they've been very clear about what the standard is here. But my question is, government is escalating where they can extend their reach and under what circumstances they can do so. Democrats did that by using budget reconciliation. Republicans will also do that and Democrats will do it again and Republicans will. Do it. It's just going to be a perpetual cycle. What happens then? We get the negative side effects. One of the things that happens with this is there's potentially going to be a lot of whiplash, backlash. They should have backlash, but we're going to get whiplash because what's going to happen is one Congress will be controlled by one party and then it'll whip back and then they'll pass all this legislation and cram it through just because they can. And it won't just be limited to something like healthcare, like virtually nothing is off the table. I think that we should, when we vote, we need to be sending messages that the government needs to listen to what we want and not just ram things through because they can. Now you might say, Ryan, you know, they are listening. You know, we put those people in and they're voting. That's a fair point, but this is not the way they're supposed to be voting. It's supposed to be a filibuster-proof majority for right now, and they're pulling some gimmick to get around it, just like they pulled some gimmick to get extra funding so that they could raise the taxes and spend it on pet projects. The government is getting out of control, in my opinion, in what they think they can do just because they can wiggle it. For all their talk about people not paying their fair share and all these loopholes— Members of Congress are experts at loopholes, including on taxes. They're not going to be hurting for this. If they were going to, they wouldn't be passing it. And they'll have enough money to hire the lawyers that will get them out of there. So I think that we really need to rein them in for that. So that's that's the big thing. Put them on the watch list. Tell them. Call them up. When it's not a voting season, it's also coming up on a voting season. Vote for people. If you're not in favor of these conglomerate, big government overreach spending, vote for ones that will be smaller. If you are in favor, vote for ones that are going to go for that. And you've got what you want. Let them know. So, all right, with that, I'm going to go ahead and start signing off here. So remember that our government is of the people, for the people, by the people. They are not above us. Expect service, demand, transparency. That's why you're coming back to me. Get that transparency. Tune in. Next episode for part two of this, and I could see five easily coming out of this. Also, stay tuned for the special edition of Blueprint that I'll be releasing with Ken, envisioning small government. You're not going to want to miss that. Remember, you can find us on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, Twitch, and Google Podcasts, and follow us at Between the Liars for more information. We'll catch you next time.